Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, covering agriculture and all things related in East Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast. My name is Kylie Miller and we've got a big crowd joining us today for our podcast. Um, with me I have agents Dennis Burns and Mr. R.L. Frazier. Oh, we're here. glad to be here again. Yeah, and um, on the other side of the table we have Dr. Boyd Pageant, hey. Dr. Uh, David Mosley, and Hello. Dr. Trey Price. Howdy. <laughs> We have a world of knowledge on the other side of that table. Yeah, we got all the, the pros in there. All the pros. I'm yeah. telling you. We should be able to grow something. Yeah. <laughs> well, today's topic we'll is We'll have enough fertilizer under it anyway. Well, that's well, true. That, that is true. <laughs> yeah. Well, today we're talking about soybeans, and we have a soybean specialist. And uh, how's the crop looking, David? Well, the, the crop is a little behind what it would normally be if you look at a five-year average because mm-hmm. the planting season was a little bit slow this year, especially when we got into May. The constant rain kind of slowed down planting. But with that said, almost 80% is starting to color. So we are starting to enter into the harvest season, prepping for harvest. Um, roughly 46%, if you look at just the last statistics from the USDA, 46% was mature with 35% harvested. So we can talk about it more later, but that, that leaves about 11% of the crop that is being hit by this rain. Um, two days of rain from this Nicholas storm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a pretty good, um, you know, roughly 10 to 11% of the crop that we could see a little bit of damage. Yeah. What about um, we had Ida and stuff? How how did that affect? It didn't affect us in the northeast. Uh, I'll say, but what about in the south? So it really was centered around the southeast mm-hmm. area in the cane country. So yeah. a lot of soybean that had not been harvested, that is on the cane beds, were hit pretty hard. From from what I've seen, mostly a lot of lodging. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a little bit of condition lost, little quality. Yeah. But hopefully, if, if the beans aren't laying on the ground, hopefully we're going to still get a good harvest out of those areas. Yeah, so um, let's talk, too, a little bit about what some of the research you're doing this year. Um, you're, you're relatively new. I know you've, you've, you started last summer, but uh, what, what, are you, what are you doing this summer? Well, sitting here next to Dr. Padgett, I'll <laughs> mention our planting date study. Sure. Um, we're, we're looking at multiple varieties, multiple maturity groups, mm-hmm. um, planted six planting dates. And we actually, we, we replicated this at the Rice Research Station, at Dean Lee, and at Macon Ridge. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely want to continue looking to make sure we have the most optimum planting date. Um, but also, to go into more detail, we want to see what what practices we should focus on if we were trying to plant really early or if we have to plant late. This year we saw a big need for late planting as we couldn't get into the field. Or And, I, and I'm seeing personally, I know in, in our area, the, the beans that were planted earlier, they're yielding a lot better yes. than the ones that are coming out that were planted a month later. Yeah, actually I have one case study on a farm in northeast Louisiana had to replant twice. Mm-hmm. So we had an April 1st planting, an April 22nd planting, and a May 1st planting. And the field that was only April 1st, 95 
plus bushels. Right. And the ones he had to cull back in twice dropped down to 75%, and that's on the same farm. Mm -hmm. So certainly early planting we know is important, but sometimes you cannot plant on time, mm -hmm. um, even double cropping after wheat or rains. So it's good for us to look at what maturity group you should do and maybe go into population studies and, and row spacing studies. I've been working with Dennis some on row spacing here on this station. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, we're looking at planting date. Um, Dr. Padgett can talk more about the, when we're spraying. We're going to spray. Well, we sprayed half of it. We left the other half not sprayed with fungicide. Mm -hmm. So we can see after each planting date, you know, they, they go into their reproductive stage at a different time of the year mm -hmm. based on planting date. So we're able to see what the efficacy of the fungicide is in different environments. Yeah. So planting date is important. Let me steer you. Uh, no, I got a question since, and for our listeners out there, we're doing, we've kind of changed up our podcast and we're doing a whole bunch like on, in one day. We've, we've recorded, this will be our fourth one, to third or fourth one today. And we did Boyd and, and trade with wheat and we talked about double crop wheat. Uh, what variety or what maturity group would you recommend for behind wheat to plant? Okay, <clears throat> historically, if you go back 20 years, it's gonna be maturity groups five and six. That's gonna be the standard answer. But there's enough research in the Midwest that's really pointing toward maturity group fours, mm -hmm. planting late. And a lot of people still will say fives, and that's one reason we're really pushing these planting aid studies, that we can, if it's true to grow fours late, in, in late May or even June, then we need more data, more evidence that, that shows that. Okay. What row spacing is? Y'all are wide row, 38? 38s. I would definitely say we need, it, if it's possible, we need to go down to 30s or even 15s, especially planting late. You really need to close those canopies as fast as possible. Okay. And we talked a little bit, Trey, you, you mentioned earlier, we talked about the double crop beans. Disease pressure is going to be more behind than the double crop beans? Usually, later planted varieties, we see more cercospor on those. Um, group fives and up, we'll see more cercospor usually. And uh, of course, soybean rust may be a concern too. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that. In this planting date study that, that David and I are doing, some of the varieties in the early plantings never saw any evidence of aerial light, none. And as you go later and later, those same varieties, or they have aerial blight epidemics going on. So planting date, at least initially, I wouldn't bet my paycheck on this at the moment, <laughs> But initially, it looks like planting date may influence, and, and Trey just mentioned that, the disease spectrum that you're going to have to address. And, and I think you're spot on with the soybean rust, that those late planted beans are going to be more likely to have soybean rust. Apparently, aerial blight might be a player, cercosper blight. Mm -hmm. I'm just now starting to see cercosper blight. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you. 
just kind of a little bit in my uh, first set of foliar fungicide trials at, at Macon Ridge. I hadn't really seen anything in, in Alexandria in those trials as far as the crossover blight goes. We've got aerial blight down there. Aerial blight is definitely uh, on the rise over the past several years, I'd say. Um, yeah, that, that fungus is, it was here before we started, it was here before we started farming beans. Ariel's <laughs> raising his hand over there. Ariel's raising his hand. We're going we're gonna to select him, ask a question. Oh, I, I, you got to keep Dennis kind of back. Uh, it's kind of a silly question, I reckon, but uh, you mentioned soybean rust. I remember when we found the first soybean rust on LSU campus and in the United States, and everybody panicked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Have we, I know we found it. I know it's here, but have we had any problems from soybean rust in a crop? Or we managed to- In a crop? Rip, in a field? In a field. Yes. To where we yes. lost a field, I reckon. Yes, but it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's not nearly as bad as we thought it was gonna be in 2004. Okay, I mean, that was just, my question. Occasionally, we... when the river, like, you know, on the, other, on the wrong side of the levee, you know, mm -hmm. when it's years they have to wait for the water to go down and then they plant, you know, you'll have late beans. Uh, that's generally a, a situation where I get calls on, yeah. on soil okay. rust. You I've know, never seen it take over anything. It's just been it will. Kinda, oh, it will. I've it had will. trials here at, at, uh, at, at St. Joe and a really good fungicide efficacy trials. Mm -hmm. Also, I've rated, while rating the, uh, the OVT over here, mm -hmm. uh, we've, we've had soybean rust in the OVT too. So. I, we had so much one year my in my fungicide trials here that when I came out of the field my blue jeans were mm -hmm. different color from the, from the rust spores. Because most of what I hear has been found right at the tail end or after harvest, mm -hmm. and never heard of any problems as far as causing us production yield loss. One one of the things you'll see whenever whenever soybean prices are way up. Most farmers are going to budget a fungicide application, so you're inadvertently managing soybean rust because most fungicides work on soybean rust. That's right. So uh, that's that's a reason why in a lot of years, like years like this, it's hard for for Boyd and I to find it in producers' fields. First place we'll find it's on a research station and something we know that has not been treated. Right, and I think that's where I was trying to go yeah. with this. That we've done a good job of getting the word out mm -hmm. as the extension service with the experience from what we had learned in Brazil, what could happen. And everybody has managed it to where in most cases, or since you told me that, it's not caused in, produ in production soybeans any economic loss to speak of. Very little. Yep. That was, that was where I was trying to go with that. Well, let me say this now. David, on your, you do the variety trials, and you have all these different varieties scattered all over the state now. Boyd and, and Trey, they go and actually rate them for all these. So when you put out the publication, you have different ratings for all these different diseases. Mm -hmm. I know like the taproot decline is what we were kind of talking about. It's showing up. You see in plants scattered through the field now. and that's, But y'all have ratings, mm -hmm. and all that's included in the information that's available for producers to select varieties for the coming year. Yeah, that's one thing I wanted to point out. You know, when you're looking for what variety to select, you definitely want to look at yield performance and maybe your soil type, your environment. You want to look at the performance in multiple environments. But besides yield, it's very important to 
to select for these diseases that you know I I've always thought and I still I believe that when you you select a variety that's kind of your one of your biggest decisions and if you can select for resistance to a disease that you know that you're going to be prone to that could be one of, you know that could help you out almost more than anything mm -hmm. else so variety selection is very important and we've can, seen that in the nematode study so. yeah we just had a nematode study where it looked like if you had a, a variety that was resistant to nematodes mm -hmm. you had higher yield right and you know that's just you don't really pay you may not pay more for your seed so it's just free money off the top just just from the selection of the right variety yeah and so the, all this data is in the production the the, the soybean variety production book you can get at either your extension office or online on the LSU Ag Center website. Are y'all going to be printing those this year? Because wasn't it last year or the year before they weren't printing well, them? Or? Well, for soybean, we I think we've always yeah, had they, one. Yeah, yeah. And so we definitely should have it printed. We, we shoot for at the end of the year or very early um, the, in 2022, very early. But the data should be online available right. as soon as possible because right. I know producers want to book seed book seed so yeah, yeah. yeah they, they're we're already looking at we're doing that planning you know they're already planning varieties for next year let me ask this question you talked about um, planning dates a while ago if you were because we talked about double crop selecting a variety what variety would you select if you're going to plant April 1st that's I mean right now we're, we're definitely seeing mid to late fours as the best choice almost no matter when you you plant so um, that's what the data I've seen that sometimes the maturity group threes the late threes or fives can compete um, early they compete pretty well but from what I from what I've seen as you get later in the season the fours are holding up better either it's genetics or it's you know, genetic for yield or genetic for resistance. Mm -hmm. It's hard to say why, but the fours are doing better. Just the way it is. <laughs> well, let's talk about taproot decline. I know that was one of the topics we wanted to bring mm -hmm. Trey and Boyd on and talk about. Uh, Y'all seeing a lot of that this year? Oh yeah, it's uh, it's here to stay. I see it every year. I get the field calls on it every year. I'd say it's our number, you know, it's in our top three soil or debris borne issues in the state. Um, I'd say next to probably root knot for uniform nematode and uh, some other things. But uh, you, you, we we're talking about variety trials. Well, we've got a specialized variety trial at Macon Ridge where we screen the varieties in the field. And we, it's, a, it's a copy of, of David's OVT is what it is. And I just inoculate one row of each plot. So we've got two row plots and one row is inoculated, the other row is not, and I'll go through and score all those varieties for tolerance to taproot decline, and we'll release that information in, in the annual publication. And we plan on doing that until taproot decline is not a problem anymore. So that's be until I retire, I guess. So um, there are some options out there that appear to have some tolerance, and that's going to be the ones you want to use in situations where you have a field history of taproot decline where you have uh, soybean following soybean because one of the, the, the best uh, uh, management options for taproot decline is crop rotation. The corn, cotton, grain, sorghum, mm -hmm. rice, whatever, peanut. 
Um, we don't see, we don't think that pathogen causes problems in those crops and we don't see the, the uh, symptoms at this point in those crops. But um, variety selection very important and we uh, also should mention another specialized variety trial we have at Macon Ridge and it's a salt tolerance variety trial. Mm -hmm. We've got where I go through and score chloride toxicity on those varieties and making reads, we've got a, anywhere from 500 to 700 parts per million chloride. And that's just chloride in, in the irrigation water there. So we can kill beans that are, that are <laughs> yeah. includers and just absolutely just takes them out. But uh, that information is available. And, and the other thing with taproot decline is I always get questions about, well, you know, what seed treatment can I put on there? What seed treatments work? Um, Right now, we don't. I, I can I can give you some where we've seen some activity, but there's nothing that really knocks my socks off as far as seed treatments go. Um, we've seen some promising infurrow materials, um, but most people don't want to spray infurrow. Mm -hmm. um, most people aren't set up for it. But if they're having a big problem with taproot decline and they realize a huge loss due to that disease, they may consider it in some of their areas. Uh, one of your parishes. RL Madison Parish is one of the worst parishes I've seen, some of the worst fields I've ever seen as far as taproot decline goes. Yeah, I was visiting with a producer a couple of weeks ago, still about yield, said the upper end of the field, done great, but as he got toward the back side of the field, he was saying taproot decline. I don't, you know, and I had to go with that. I would mm -hmm. it's already harvested. Was it some possibly something else? Uh, but he felt like it was taproot decline, and he said it was some significant drops as he got toward the, the backside of that field. Uh, that field you and I went into. Uh, Which one? About a, <laughs> well, the, the field that you and I went into that was, so, that was so badly affected by, you couldn't hardly take a baby step in that field. Oh, that's right, yeah. What part of the state was that in? That was in... Uh, it was in the northeast. But I can't remember what parish it was. Did it start with a C? No. Oh, okay. Well, I'm just asking. It's probably, <laughs> probably Madison. It, it might be Madison. But most producers don't notice it until pod field. I'll I, I put yeah. a plug in for, you know, the, the OVTs, the way they've been done in the past, when our people that did them a long time ago, they were, they were very good. I think we've made improvements. I want to you know, acknowledge the funding that we get from the Soybean and Grain Pro mm -hmm. Research and Promotion Board. We could not do this work. But uh, David and I have two OVTs right now, and it's similar to what you're doing, Trey, but it's just with general disease. We have a duplicate OVT planted next to David's four-row. We have a two-row plot. We don't treat it with anything as far as fungicides are concerned. So we're doing that here at, at Dean Lee in Alexandria and also down in Baton Rouge. And I'd have demolished the, mm -hmm. you know, it, I'm, I'm probably going to miss some rains because of Ida. In Baton Rouge. Yeah, in Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. uh, looks like some old lady started knitting a quilt <laughs> together with these soybean plants. You can't even walk through them. But, uh, you know, it gives growers an opportunity to see, okay, I can plant this variety and I may not need to treat it with the fungicide. And that, this is only recent that, that these types of OVT trials have been looked at in an effort to uh, offer 
cost savings to our producers. Let me, let me make one comment in, in appreciation of what the work y'all do with the OVTs. Because I had one producer last week tell me that he wanted to plant more corn, but because of the price of fertilize, mm -hmm. he thought he was going to have to plant more soybeans. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's the, the work y'all do and the information that's available is, is you know, instrumental in helping him select a variety. Yeah, we teamed up, I failed to mention on the taproot decline OVT, we teamed up with Mississippi State University of Arkansas and they sent us the varieties that were in their variety trials that were not in our variety trials. So we've got the Mid-South covered as far as taproot decline goes, as far as rating. Um, Tom Allen came down and rated some. and Of course, I've rated that trial twice, so we'll have a good data set for, for, uh, for David to include in that publication. If you look at the data from the OVT and the core block, we haven't mentioned much on the core block that's grown. It's, it's a smaller trial, maybe 10 or so varieties, but we grow them on the farmer, the producer's farm. So we're able to see them in, in that conditions, like very similar to hopefully another producer. If you look at the data on those two trials, it's kind of easy to see that you just by selecting the correct variety, you can get 10 bushels per acre. You know, that's a lot of money just just by selection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wanted to add on, on to Boyd's point about the fungicide treated and non-treated OVT. That, that's particularly important in central and southern Louisiana. They have a lot, a lot more disease pressure than growers do in the northern half of the state. And I'm not saying disease can't get bad in the northern half of the state, but more often disease is it's an annual issue in central and southern portions of the state. And um, you have cercosper blight and aerial blight. Um, those, those are huge issues for growers. And they're going to, you know, with aerial blight, it's, it's going to be an annual issue if you've got it because it's a soil-borne fungus and it, it, it stays in the soil for 20, forever. I mean, it can last forever in the soil. So it's... Uh, and if you rotate with rice, that's just perpetuating it. Yeah, and it, get, it actually, it'll actually go to corn, and it'll yeah. actually go to sorghum. Um, so you really don't have any rotation options. And, uh, you know, it's just, I, I think that fungus is taking over the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, y'all ready? You got any uh, questions? I got one question for Dr. Mosley, unless I missed it earlier. Yeah, you got a prediction of what you think? And this is just a prediction. What the yields going to end up being for beans this year, from what you're hearing already? Yeah, there, I mean there are actually is some little bit of data. You know, I've, I've visited some farms. I've I've heard of some yields like from the April plantings. I th I feel like most most acres planted in April, maybe May first, have been harvested for the most part, and it's really coming back higher than average. Um, one farm said they, I mentioned one farm, they, they average 88 acres on, I mean, 88 bushels per acre on a five-year average. But like I said, his April plan, his April plantings came back 90, 90 plus, that's above. But the acres he had to kind of replant, that came back below average. So if you planted in April, well, there's one farm in the south, south area, they they said roughly 70 they had roughly 77 bushels per acre when they averaged 60. so that's really good there's some good signs so if you planted in april i really feel good 
um, a lot of acres weren't planted in May because of rains. So we still have to see how our late May, June plantings, but it, if you just look at, and I felt good all year because half the weeks, if you just look week to week, half the weeks from, I believe June to now, were slightly below average in, in temperature. So our temperature was pretty good and we had rains, kind of weekly rains. I hear some people say they didn't have to irrigate. Like one farmer in maybe mid-July said he hadn't even hooked up his irrigation yet. So, so I felt good all year. And then, I mean, I was, hope, I was hoping to, when last year we, we had roughly 52 bushels per acre, that was our final number. You know, even though we planted late, I was hoping to go anywhere around 50 bushels per acre. But just last week, the USDA put out their numbers in September, and they came back 55 bushels per acre. So that would actually beat last year's, if that holds up. Hmm. So there's a lot of data points that say we should have a pretty decent year, maybe average to even above average. Sure. How many acres we have in the state? So it was projected 1.1 million. But this last projection in September said 1.08. So we lost 20,000 acres, but anywhere around 1.1 um, million acres. Yeah. Beans are everywhere. Yeah. Grow a lot of beans. Hopefully it's a good year for soybean farmers. So you're telling me that the beans here on the station that I planted August 1st are going to make 52? Are they going to do average? That's up to the, that's up to the grower. <laughs> so these are the ones I planted here on the station. That's I planned them first of August. That's what I mean. It's so I mean, <laughs> you said average, so you're gonna have entomologists knocking down your door. Yeah. Put that stink bug I know. <laughs> Don't tell me. I got argued. Well, you are gonna. You go. You said you. You already told me I was gonna be disease ridden. So yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna eat up with every disease there was. I'm definitely interested. You, you say August plantings. I that I'm very interested in see how. How that some goes. of them are just blurry. Sure. But I got some of them blurry. It's going to be, I'm afraid some of them going to be a cover crop. Why did I do this? Because we had the seed and yeah. we had we had lost, we had bare ground and we had lost stuff. And so we just said, we plant beans. See what happens. Uh, well, yeah, but when you and I were kids, I remember group sevens. Oh, like yeah. Planted in July. Big South Splendor Mini, a 4th of July. Yes, sir. Planter plant. Yeah. <laughs> when was those harvested? Things November. have changed. December, yeah, right. November, oh, whenever. Yeah, you, you cut rut. You just knew when you planted those, it, you were going right to cut ruts. <laughs> they so, held up. Yeah, they did. When, when would those get into close to maturity? Did you have much frost? Frosting, Cage one. yeah, not. but they're not. But I mean, they were. You were in late November cutting. You were. Yeah. You were cutting beans at the. I can remember eating dinner, eating Thanksgiving dinner. Yep. In the field, sitting on the ground. Cut into deer season. That's why we moved migrated. So that's why we moved the forest. That's really good. Yeah. 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 Open cab, mm -hmm. Asha safe. Oh yeah, uh, a lot of things. That were... I can say a lot of things. I probably don't need. Yeah. Osha was just a something in somebody's dream. Long it was. Time ago. <laughs> we got got an ocean, ocean mixed up. I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Well, I'm going to close y'all for y'all say something okay. I don't need <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, we appreciate y'all coming up to St. Joe today. I know Alec was, uh, or Alexandria was a long drive. But Alec, right? Yeah, that's, that's what I say, but I know some people might not know it as that. But um, we appreciate y'all making the drive today. And, um, Glad to be here. Charlie joining in on a uh, couple podcasts today. So thank y'all so much, and uh, we look forward thank to you. having y'all back on again. Yep. All right, good. All right. All right. Thank y'all. The Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the LSUAgCenter.com or contact your local Extension office.